Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make a monthly podcast for the Restart Project. The Restart Project is a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. In this month's episode of the Restart Project podcast, we're having a party, uh, a restart party, but a slightly different kind of party than restart party usually means, because this time it's our 10-year anniversary celebration. In today's episode, we mix between an interview with co-founder of the Restart Project, Ugo Valauri, and the actual party that took place in London, which I got back from yesterday where the Restart team, our volunteers and restarters, our partners, supporters and collaborators all gathered together. Today's episode has a feel of the early days of the Restart Project podcast because I was recording interviews with people at a party so there's lots of background sound and lots of energy and life going on as we all reflected on a decade of experience, of inspiration, of connection, of skill sharing and collective action. It seems a bit weird to say this since you were one of the first two guests that we ever had on the podcast and you're a regular voice throughout the existence of this podcast. But if you could start with saying hello and giving us a brief idea of who you are and what you do. Hello, my name is Ugo Vallauri and I'm very happy to be back on Restart Radio. I I am the co-founder and co-director of the Restart Project based in London, and I have seen this organization evolve from an idea in a Google Doc written up with my friend and co-founder Janet into the organization that is today a voice respected and listened to in policy and campaigning circles, as well as an organization inspiring volunteers and others to try to repair as much as they can. So 10 years of restart, how are you feeling? I feel actually quite emotional about this because when we started, I never thought about an horizon of 10 years. And it was just the urgency of something that we felt was important and needed. So today I look back and I start remembering the early days, all of the community spaces we visited, carrying tools, meeting volunteers. And then I look forward and I see our name listened to in the European institutions or a policy hearing here in the UK and the groundswell of support that we managed to generate and helping together with plenty of fantastic partners around the world to make the case for repair. I feel proud of what we've done and I feel very thankful for all the amazing people and organizations that we've met. And I see a journey that is unfolding day by day and that has many chapters yet to be written. So that's encouraging and I'm looking forward to what's next. So let's go right back to the beginning. You've sort of touched on it already, but let's have a fuller version of the story. How and why did Restart begin? So the real story is that myself and Janet Gunter were both working in international development. The use of information and communication 
technologies in development. And both of us were having a bit of a frustration with regards to how people working in that sphere always focus on bringing tech to the global south and to trying to fix problems. And there's always this excitement about the next technology. Having both of us lived in the global south in different places, we wanted to actually celebrate the human aspect of all of this, how we learned how people make the most of everything they own or have access to in order to ensure that it can last and how repair economies in most of the world actually still exist and thrive and are essential to keeping people able to communicate and do much more. And we wanted to bring all of this back at a time when the doom and gloom of discussing electronic waste and how that's illegally exported from Europe into all kinds of places. That was the dominant conversation back in the early 2010s. And we were involved in that and we wanted to change all of this and we wanted it to be a fun opportunity for everyone to get hands on and save the things that they already had because we felt that focusing on how illegal export of e-waste was happening was really missing the bigger point of how the way we consume in the global north is the biggest problem and how we give up on things much sooner than we should. So we started pondering on all of this and we had this document where we were starting to imagine this restart project. We like that name because the idea that often things aren't really broken, but you need to switch them off and turn them on again and they'll start working again. So you shouldn't panic to begin with. And one day in May 2012, we discovered that there was this movement of repair cafes that was already happening and thriving in the Netherlands and beyond. We read an article about it in the New York Times and we decided, well, we've been talking about this restart for so long now, for six, nine months. And so quickly we started our first event, our first restart party. And the idea for us was indeed to make it fun and to make it inclusive and to focus fully on all the tech and electrical products, particularly because people are lost when it comes to fixing them. Of course, most people have an idea or two about how to repair a pair of jeans, but when it comes to a DVD player or a printer or a phone, you name it, it's a different story. And so we wanted very much to challenge our own perception of what's too broken to be fixed. But we had no idea what kind of community would have been up for it. And so we ran a first event and we were really surprised to get some volunteer show up with a suitcase full of tools. And I remember on that same day, that was the 16th, of June 2012, someone traveled on a bike for miles with a printer somehow tied up to their bike because they were so frustrated with it and yet they wouldn't want to give up to the throwaway economy that was telling them just throw it away and get another one. Before any of this became public, when we started discussing it, Janet and I, we 
decided that the best way was to make her existing laptop faster. And so what we did was we bought an extra bank of RAM for her laptop, which is still the case. If you can add new memory, extra memory to your machine, sometimes you don't need to upgrade the machine. You can just make it faster, except that in most laptops now it's impossible by design. And we got a few screwdrivers, not the typical pro tools, but some fun tools. And we had a bottle of wine to celebrate. We did this and we figured out that it was entirely possible, doable, and actually quite exciting and fun. And that has been always at the heart, making sure that it is fun, it's inclusive, it's engaging, and it increases your own confidence in trying to repair and save things from getting lost and wasted. And a social event too, a meeting of two people and the parties themselves are meetings of even more people. It seems to me the 10 years that you've existed, that it's about the people as much as anything else. Exchanges of knowledge between different people. It's kind of powerful that way. Absolutely. For me personally, restart parties have been a phenomenal way to discover London in many new ways. I must have been to 50 different community centres all over London in neighbourhoods that maybe I would have never visited otherwise. And it's been really rewarding as a different lens through which discovering the city and uh, getting to know people from the volunteers to the organisers to those that made their venues available to the participants, of course, and those that were struggling with something that was really important because of a memory associated to a specific device, or those that simply didn't have any means to replace a product, to those that might have already replaced the product, but they still wanted to pass on the broken one to a new user. I mean, it's been an incredible journey. And then obviously I've been very privileged to also explore what does that mean internationally and meet fantastic people from around the world that do the same. Right. And and those categories of people as well have have shifted, no doubt, like people have come in with something to repair and then maybe they've become one of the helpers, one of the people organising the events, or maybe people have even gone from coming in with something broken to being someone who starts to fix things to being someone who is comfortable and confident with fixing things. People shift around in what they do as a result of coming to a, a restart party. It was weird saying this to Ugo. It's even weirder in some ways saying this to you. But if you could say who you are and what you do in relationship to the Restart Project. Hi, I'm Janet Gunter and I co-founded the Restart Project with Ugo 10 years ago now, but now I'm gone. You're gone from the Restart Project. You're absolutely still here in the world and that's why we can do this conversation. So I've heard this from Ugo, but how and why did Restart begin? We Basically, we just started meeting with other people who use technology in what they call global development. In the places we we were working, people made such amazing use of everything. For example, in Brazil, there was a TV station in the favela that was airing broadcast through a webcam that had been fished out of the rubbish. 
you know, and this is just the way people live. So it felt in a way like we had major problems here in our back garden, and we kind of wanted to start focusing on that. We started with community repair because it seemed like a good opportunity, and we just thought we could start small, which we did. And in a way, that kind of snowballed. And it was the volunteers, a lot of the people who were here, who kind of pushed us to go further than just thinking of it as a small, quaint community project, and to start thinking of it as kind of like a world-changing project that's about campaigning and changing everything. I'm Mike Tuffery. I chair the Board of Trustees. I only came on board so that was FixFest 2017. From the board perspective, we've kind of been looking at what we've achieved over the last 10 years and what the next 10 years is all about. So really excited. Hi, I'm Fidi. I co-founded Hackney Fixes several years ago and co-hosting restart parties whenever I have the time. Super excited for restart. They've come a long way. I'm just really excited to see their concepts flourishing in practice and you know they have big ideas going forward. So I'm equally as excited about going forward for the next 10 years. So how do Restart's goals look different now from the goals that you had in that first year of the life of the organization? You'd be surprised to hear, perhaps, that actually they haven't changed. And it's quite incredible, actually, when you look back at what we wrote 10 years ago, when we were writing our first internal document, I guess we were ambitious in terms of what we wanted to achieve. And the community in the very early days really helped us shape what we wanted and kind of inspire us. You know, we've been to banks helping their employees figuring out that maybe the replacement cycle for the products they even get from their employer should be reviewed or we've been to museums we've been to universities where design students are frustrated with how things are too easy to break and too hard to fix so all of these ideas were there from the beginning we knew that the whole system needs changing and that repair is a good way to look at some of the big problems with our capitalist system, really. The fact that everyone experiences how things break helps make it really personal to so many people and a good way to observe the reality and how it needs shifting. What's changed over time is that we weren't sure at first of the amount of support that we would have. And so a whole ecosystem of organizations, companies, and other institutions that are increasingly interested in the world of repair has progressively come together. Even their take on things has changed over time. For example, no one 10 years ago was talking about right to repair. No one used that term. And now it's the kind of catch-all phrase that a lot of people would use to refer to the activities that we engage in. So we were preparing, in a way, from the early days for the scale of change that's needed and realized that, sure, we need to offer hope to people, both in terms of communicating about repair and helping communities come together, inspire them that it's not impossible. But ultimately, we need policies at city level in terms of waste prevention, national level, in terms of repair incentives, and international level, forcing manufacturers to make products that actually can be repaired, to all come together if we want to make a long-lasting impact. And we couldn't necessarily envision the details of it at first, but we knew that 
we needed a lot of support in order to get there. And slowly looks like we're getting there. Right. And I mean, that's one of the things that I find so inspiring about the Restart Project is the fact that you've got all of these lenses at the same time. You know, the personal, the social, the political, the global, the macro, the micro, all of these things. It's impressive that it's been there from the start. Do you have a favourite moment? In the last 10 years of Restart. I'm going to say, because I'm seeing Monique talking over there, that I think some of the skill shares we've had among women and non-binary people, the rosy skill shares have been so awesome. Like creating this friendly space for women to share skills. And for me anyway, that's a really unique space that's created and I'm not used to that in my daily life. Favourite moment was probably Fix Fest because I'd just come on board and was still trying to figure out and then suddenly there were all these people and breakout groups and people getting excited fixing stuff and talking about stuff coming from all their different groups and so forth. So that really kind of brought the whole thing alive. It must have been like one of those first restart parties that we set up because they were so quickly so popular and really successful so we got lots of people into the room got lots of repairers and it was just such a such an excitement around the opportunities of repair i think that that was that was one of my key moments What's the biggest challenge that you've encountered as an early organization and has this changed since then? Starting a small charity is not easy and running it and trying to grow it, particularly at a time when you are trying to like reflect on the need to change a system and you're trying to instill doubts and you're trying to inspire people to take voluntary action rather than coming up with a product yourself. And that challenge doesn't change, particularly in the sense that, well, now we are more recognized and understood and respected as an organization, we still face a risk that the importance of grassroots initiatives that question the system, that look at the way we consume and seek real extensive change are not really in line with the mood of funders that might have been captured by things like COVID or the cost of living, but they don't necessarily see the link between the way we need to stop growing in the same unsustainable way and start making sense of maintenance, repair and reuse economies at large to reduce our environmental impact and live happier and more in harmony with our planet. So this is still a challenge. At the same time, some of the things that have changed is that indeed we are much more listened to and we are able to provide feedback to consultations by policymakers at all levels from London to Europe and contribute and trying to shape these pathways towards change. We see ourselves and hopefully our partners will agree as conveners trying to help the voices of fantastic, relevant people and organizations that are not yet sufficiently taken into consideration to emerge and to bring their perspective 
and to make a more coherent and winning case for making repair the norm. My name's Sophia Flucker. I'm a host of Kensal to Kilburn Restart Parties. Do you have a favourite moment from the 10 years of Restart? A moment springs to mind which happened very recently, actually. It was where we were doing an event locally and a woman came in with her son who was in primary school and he was very shy but he was it turned out very passionate about vacuum cleaner repairs and very experienced with vacuum cleaner repairs and it just happened to be that Philip was actually repairing a vacuum cleaner at the time so we were able to introduce them and they they kind of teamed up on that repair it was a very interesting exchange of information and they did a lot of troubleshooting together which was very impressive but very fun as well. I'm Ben, I'm a long, long time restarter and uh, I was a volunteer coordinator so I often get involved with some projects with interesting repairs if we're doing them at events. It's not an individual one but there's always a moment that something that makes noise like a hoover starts working on a radio and the whole room cheers and that's always amazing because it's, it's much more together than just one person's object. Hi, I'm Dave Lukes. I've been a volunteer with the Restart Project for over 10 years now. I fix electronics, help to organise events both in Hackney and in Sydenham where I live. I've had lots of favourite moments. Every time I see the delight in someone's face, when something gets repaired that they thought was a goner, even the really trivial ones, also occasionally you get moments of schadenfreude. For instance, somebody was told that their coffee pod machine was totally unrepairable. Turned out it had got a coffee pod jammed in it. Ten seconds with a screwdriver and it was fixed. The girlfriend who bought it along delighted in saying, I'll never let him forget about this. Things like that, you know, putting a little joy in someone's life. I would never say they're the favourite repair, they're all my favourites. You've been working largely on policy and campaigning. What policy win felt the most important or which policy win are you the most proud of? And are those things the same or are they different? There is clearly like a defining moment in all of this and I'll remember it forever. That's when together with some of our European partners, we knew that a potential regulation making repair a bit easier for washing machine, fridges, dishwashers and TVs was at risk of being sabotaged in some negotiations. This was back in 2018. And so we came up with the idea of showing up in front of the European Commission in Brussels with an old fridge a washing machine with a sad face on both of them and chant right in front of representatives from all of the European Union countries, at the time the UK as well, that we needed the right to repair and that we needed it now. And I am very proud of that moment because the picture of that protest with the sad face on the fridge and washing machine made global media, and it did help, bringing in a certainly non-perfect regulation, but one that is the base for all of the work that we're doing now. In fact, after that win, although it was a partial win with a lot of grey areas and bad caveats, that's what helped us start a full-fledged right-to-repair European campaign, which we are happy to have started and to be steering alongside other organizations. And the fact that we have over a hundred of them now from 20 European countries, including countries outside of the EU, like Norway, Switzerland, and the UK, is testament to how we're doing something that resonates with people's frustration and desire to see an end to this unsustainable and just obscene 
planned obsolescence. And yeah, the time is running out. We need to change the system before the system just destroys the planet completely. It's not acceptable that just the other day, a lobby of laptop manufacturers, for example, delayed a universal charger for laptops by 40 extra months compared to other devices. There's no real reason for that. And so we're far from being done, which also makes it fun and interesting every day. What do you think is the next big policy move that will happen? There's so many things that are still needed. There's no single policy that will fix it all. So we need three types of things to happen. We need, first of all, products to continue to become easier to repair and better supported. So there's regulations in the making about smartphones and tablets. We know there will be more about computers and there will be more about vacuum cleaners. So that's all good, but it's also happening very much in slow motion. And so that's one part. We think the next big battleground will be on software and software-based obsolescence. And this is really big. It's possibly bigger than any of the battles that have existed on making spare parts and repair manuals available. And we know that manufacturers are resisting it because they see a big opportunity to exert control over all the products. And the third thing is really helping repair become universally available and accessible to everyone, also more affordable. And that's not just something that we need to ask manufacturers to to handle, but it's something that at state level, at national level, at international level, we need new policies that reduce the cost of repair. We see interesting approaches, for example, in Austria, where there's a voucher scheme that helps people save 50% of the cost of a repair. And in France, they're testing something similar. So repair needs to become the default option. And it is considered too expensive because we don't take into account the environmental costs of buying a new product, the environmental costs involved with the manufacturing, the mining and the disposing, etc. So we need to reduce and eliminate all the taxation, no VAT, for example, or anything else that can substantially reduce the cost of repairing and create new local jobs. Sounds quite attractive to me. What has it been like seeing the repair community grow over the last 10 years in London and worldwide? It's been really cool. I like to think this is not just a one-off, like a decade of activism and there we go. I think it is still growing. I think the repair community does have diversity issues that we still need to address. We need to reach beyond the usual suspects. We need to be sure that the full diversity of people who like to repair and use things for longer is like visible to others. And we definitely need to do a better job of working with young people. But that's work that Restart is already setting out on and investing in. What milestones are you most proud of as an organisation and I guess as an individual? There's some that really resonates particularly. I think I'm very proud of when we delivered a course to young unaccompanied minors in Croydon that had arrived to the UK and we taught them the basics of maintenance of a laptop and at the end of a course they were able to keep it. It was their own. I'm proud of the 
FixFest series of events that is coming back at the end of September in Brussels. And we're very excited about that. And I'm very proud of how we have been able to start focusing on the importance of the commercial repair sector with our repair directory that brings now in London over 300 repair businesses that are reliable. I'm very proud of all the educational work that we've done on a shoestring, literally, about producing what I think are really important resources that are quoted by many people that try to make repair and the CO2 emissions related to the stuff we consume a lot more easily understood by young people, for example. And I'm proud of this podcast, which you'll be surprised in many policy meetings or meetings with partners working on policy. I've seen how some specific interviews have shaped their thinking around some of the topics, and that is impact. For sure. It's really good to hear that positive feedback. It's definitely a show I'm incredibly proud of as an individual. We do a lot with a little. There's not a massive team that's behind this podcast, but I think we put out podcasts that are very, very high quality. And I remember when you hired me, when I first kind of became a freelance worker for Restart, Janet was mentioning things like This American Life and things like that. I was like, whoa, there's no way we can touch that without a massive team. But I think we do. And I also think we do with a restart attitude. It's a DIY podcast that does what these big budget podcasts are doing. That's definitely something to be proud of. I'm also proud of us as a team of how the network of people that over the years have worked as staff members, as well as freelancers and volunteers, obviously. There's been a collaborative approach, an attempt to really share a lot of the research, the motivation and uh, the facts and trying to create a collaborative working environment, which I hope everyone is benefiting from as much as I am in terms of always learning. No one is perfect and there's still space for us to keep learning. We're trying to be as open as possible about the way we learn and the way we make mistakes as well. What impact has Restart had on you? I've been able to speak in front of people or to be in new environments talking to different people. So I've developed that confidence. But I've also met people like me, met people I want to be around, found a community I feel like I'm actually worth being part of. Hi, I'm Panda. I'm a long, long time Restarter. So joined right at the beginning. I was a coordinator at some point, but now just a volunteer and moving more remotely, so less of a volunteer. Yeah, I mean, all, all of the above, I mean, it's quite similar to, to Ben to some extent, but also I think I mean, increased my uh, experience on repair. And I've also tried to push for having an intentionality of uh, neurodivergence and repair, so to make community repair well suited for neurodivergent individuals. And especially as we're recording that today on Autistic Pride Day, which is kind of a nice, uh, <laughs> nice feeling as well. I've been doing restart parties for a number of years now, so I've had lots of opportunities to learn. I've probably attempted repairs I wouldn't have thought to attempt before on a personal level. And it's been very rewarding to help other people maybe get introduced to repair or improve their skills or look at things in a different way. There's a lot of personal benefits and things of interest, but it's a really fun and interesting thing to help other people with as well. The repair community has always been at the heart of why we do what we do, helping us understand what level we should aim at and whether it's about understanding the intricacies between software and hardware and how they play out or 
helping us understand what drives volunteers' excitement on repair and the challenges that they enjoy facing, as well as their desire to pass on their skills and bring on a new generation of repairers. And also the intergenerational aspect of it all, how young people can learn from older people and older people can learn from younger people and maybe their approaches to software and vice versa. And we have Manchester Declaration that we launched calling all politicians and manufacturers and designers to really work with us and change the status quo. And we have the Community Repair Network that brings together all these organizations that with a different perspective and a different geographical location are trying to make repair more mainstream in their own area. And it's been incredibly inspiring to see how global collaboration also give us a better perspective on the real challenges ahead. For instance, how we've learned and we've been inspired in the campaigning for Right to Repair by what our colleagues and friends in the United States, as well as in Canada and in Australia are doing. And we've learned about the different perspectives and needs and challenges experienced by repairers in places like Buenos Aires, Bangalore, or in Uganda. So there's a lot that we can keep learning. I'd like to say that we are always trying to help bring new perspectives that might even challenge some of our existing beliefs in looking at how the right to repair is one aspect, but the right to reuse and make sure that we don't waste is just equally important and that future campaigning needs to take into account all of this. Then there's evidently the shift. There's more direct awareness about what a repair cafe, a restart party, a fix-it clinic, or whatever you want to name it is. And there's many people understand that. What's next? What are the next manifestations of that that can push repair to fruition for more people? It's great to see this starting to emerge as more people and more organizations are questioning our local economies and what is the future of our high streets etc. Listeners to the podcast will have heard a lot of that, like a lot of the podcast episodes have talked to those people in different parts of the world, both virtually and face-to-face in person. It's always so interesting speaking to people with different conditions, different local issues around them, and not just in different parts of the world, different parts of the UK. Everywhere I go, everyone I speak to, Restart comes up because Restart has had these kind of echoes in all of these different places. And I, I think as far as like measurements of what the organization has achieved i think that even though it's very anecdotal is very high up My name is Stefania. I'm mainly fixer, but at one point I was also hosting and uh, volunteer in the office for a while. What's been your favourite fix that's happened at a restart party? The m- most challenging things is when you see something that you've never seen before. You don't know even how it's supposed to work. But I like especially vintage stuff. Lately we've done an event that was a kind of very early video games. It was optics. It was so... Wah! was actually a very easy fix. 
it wasn't a big deal. But it's just weird how many things you can see, you can find out from 20, 30 years ago. I find enough that are also more repairable than the modern stuff. I don't have, a, I think, a favorite fix per se because all the fixers are great per se and they're all different. Different because even if it's the same device, the people are different. They bring their own experience, their own uh, attachment to the object. And I quite enjoy as well things that were not fixed. I mean, for instance, try to fix a keyboard and failed to fix the keyboard, but it got a hug at the end. <laughs> and kind of, it was still, I mean, a great ambience and great atmosphere and we kind of still learned about the keyboard even if we didn't fix it. So I think there is value in the community repair process in itself, whether we end up with a fix or not. The ones I like are not necessarily the complicated ones. It can be the simple little things. For instance, I once fixed the cat's drinking fountain with an elastic band. You get all sorts of little things like that where something's been jammed and you unjam it, something needs lubricating, you lubricate it. And yes, there are all the crazy Sherlock Holmes type things where you have to trace the circuitry and find out which component's blown and replace it. But whatever you're fixing, it's just as much fun to fix something, even if it's a simple fix. Somebody goes home happy, you go home happy because you found something interesting out about something, had a nice chat with someone. That's what the important thing is, you know, the human relationships. I think my favorite fixes, and it's happened numerous times, is when people come to an event and it's clearly going to be a complex repair that probably involves a spare part and some follow-up. And then they come back and they complete the repair together with a volunteer. It's so easy to buy a new one, right? And it's cheap also. So I really appreciate when people go the extra mile. You know, they spend those extra hours. They probably learn a lot. That's what's cool also is you see that people are learning as they're doing it. So if there's collaboration happening between either between the volunteer and the participant or between volunteers, that's the magic, I think. And that's why we have these events because you know you can sit at home and watch a YouTube video and fiddle with it until your heart's content but that's why we have these events is because ultimately a lot of magic happens when you get people together. So is there anything that would have surprised you, the you from 10 years ago, that's happened during these 10 years? I guess I wouldn't have expected things to accelerate in the last few years to the point where manufacturers are trying to co-opt some of the concepts that we've been pioneering and trying to make them their own, obviously in their own way that we tend to disagree with. But that kind of mix of co-optation and greenwashing, I didn't expect would happen. But at the same time, I also remember that years back, we were only dreaming of finding maybe a communication agency partner that would help us have billboards around cities reminding people of how wasteful the way we consume is. And now there are companies out there that are growing and they are trying to promote secondhand devices, reminding everyone of the CO2 emissions involved with using brand new products and throwing them away too soon. So both positives and negatives. I'm impressed with that. But at the same time, I guess as activists, we feel an urgency for things to progress faster than they actually are. So a bit of frustration at how, practically speaking, plenty of waste is still happening and so many more challenges are happening due to the way manufacturers are taking advantage of new barriers while they might concede of making some spare parts available for their products. So in a sense, nothing has changed. 
but there's plenty more awareness and support. I guess because the climate crisis has become so much more real and understood over the last 10 years, more people are also starting to question the way we consume as a real aspect in all of this and the way we are forced to consume in many cases. One thing that I find particularly problematic and infuriating is that manufacturers, while deep down they know that making products more longer lasting and repairable is inevitable because there's a groundswell of support for it. They're still trying desperately to blame it on the consumers wanting thinner and uh, frequent updates and new gadgets and not wanting actually to repair things. And that is just obscene. And we need to call it out at all opportunities, at all costs. Hi, I'm Fiona Deer. I've recently started as co-director at The Restart Project. Briefly, what do you hope for the next 10 years? Stepping back a bit, I hope that repair becomes a lot more mainstream than it is. And I hope that it becomes a lot more part of people's thought processes. And I hope that the Restart Project can play a significant role in making that happen, whether that's working with partners, whether that's getting loads of publicity around the the infrastructure work that we're doing by that I mean fixing factories and restart parties and repair directory but also I'd love to think a bit more about comms and how we can work to make repair a mainstream thing it doesn't have to be niche and there's enough interest now thinking about how we can build on that I'll try to be brief but I have two different directions that I'd like to explore and they're both about hope one is that As much as our discussions and uh, confrontation at times with manufacturers seems not to be making much progress, it's great that when we talk to them in closed-door meetings, you understand that they know that this is coming. There's no way out of making repair more available to everyone. So it's just a matter of time. And it's a matter of us not losing momentum and not losing appreciation of the opportunity we have. And that's like a call to action to as many people as possible. Please support us, get involved in whichever way you like, whether it's about sharing the podcast, whether it's about supporting a local organization in your area that's making all of these issues stand out or support Restart directly. But it's happening and manufacturers are still trying to defend what they're used to, but they know that they can't win long term. Things are changing and the groundswell of support for repair will only keep growing as more and more people frustrated with all of this are tired and just won't change. But we are not done yet. And here comes the second vision I have for the future. While we keep working on pushing manufacturers as well as specifically regulators, uh, politicians and policymakers, because we don't think any manufacturer on their own can actually make this change. And they're all need to be required to make as much change as we see fit. It's not going to be a matter of voluntary agreements to change this. And in the UK, we are struggling a bit more because there doesn't seem to be enough of an understanding that this is important, particularly post-Brexit. We need to keep making repair visible at all stages. And so we're very excited that we are now looking at what's next 
in addition and to complement the community restart parties that are so omnipresent everywhere in our cities. And so we are very excited about fixing factories as places where repair is available permanently, where people can learn skills, where people might get access to advice on professional repairs that can help and where reuse might be made easier when that's the case. We'd like to see them everywhere. We'd like to see them across the UK. We'd like to see them in Europe, everywhere else. And this is exciting because only by making repair inevitable in our everyday life, that's how we're going to be able to make the case for policies that will then make it much more accessible for everyone. And so this is in a way, a way to look at the future. And so any help and any new ideas to make that reality will be very, very welcome. And for us, finally, as an organization, we think that in the UK, particularly more understanding of how repair and reuse and a future vision of how we reach net zero from the perspective of repairing more, wasting less and producing and importing less stuff that could actually be reused is needed. And we are trying to articulate that into a vision that can probably bring on many more people compared to what the Manchester Declaration has already done. So stay tuned for more. It was so nice to see people in person, face to face, so many people that I'd met through making this podcast, through going to restart parties, and it's wonderful to be in a room full of friends. There's lots of challenges ahead, there have been lots of challenges behind, and the restart project is up to them, and it's going to carry on pushing forwards to change our relationship with our gadgets, with our technology, with our throwaway culture, and to fight to make a better, more sustainable, more repairable world. One thing that's run through this podcast episode is the idea of community, of shared experience and knowledge. And right at the heart of everything that the Restart Project has done is the volunteers who have helped to shape and create every achievement that the organization has had over this decade part of that community is you the listener thank you for being part of the restart project community thank you for listening to the show and i look forward to working with you whether i meet you or not in all the work that we all have still yet to do The thing I always ask every guest, and I guess I shouldn't treat you any differently, is there anything that I should have asked you, anything that you'd like to emphasise or like go back to or bring up that hasn't been covered in our conversation? I think I should be called out on my own (laughs) shortcomings as a repairer. (laughs) So people ask us, okay, so you want this right to repair so that you think really that everyone will repair everything themselves. And no, not at all. We want everyone to be able to make their own choice when something happens. So I have not probably become a much better repairer over the last 10 years, but I think I've become even more stubborn in terms of making sure that before something reached the end of its life, it's going to go through all the possible options. And luckily, knowing 
a lot of wonderful people in the repair community has helped us extend the life of many products, also in my personal life. And finally, I think we don't thank enough the volunteer efforts of everyone that ever made themselves available, even just for one event, repairing three or four things collaboratively. Because it's not just about performing that two, three repairs. It's about the amount of inspiration that that's been bringing to participants, all the learning and all the altruism involved in this movement is really at the heart of why we do this. It re-energizes me every time, even 10 years on, on how we need to make this system work for people and planet and not just for a system obsessed with selling new stuff at all times. Restart Radio is a show aired on Resonance 104.4 FM and a monthly podcast uploaded to the Restart Project website and found wherever you get your podcasts. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at the Restart Project where we've also set up a fundraiser. So if you've enjoyed this episode, do make sure that you donate there to help to fund the future of the podcast. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Opto Noise and Cassini Sound. And big thanks to Restart's communications producer, Holly, who does the research and the planning for the podcast. And now it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody.